Hello and welcome to the wonderful weird world of knowing. I'm Rachel Earing and today we have another episode with a gentleman who I met, you may have heard this already, at Broughton Hall. Yes, another one of those beautiful weird people from Broughton Hall. He was one of the speakers actually at Broughton and he's created his own diamond uh, methodology of, of how everything works. Um, moving forward with this really beautiful pattern that helps us put into place all the weird mystical spiritual essences and blends them all together in a way that we can understand quite succinctly. So let me just introduce Nish properly. First of all, hello Nish, how are you? Hello Rachel, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's an absolute delight to have you here. So let me just read out your bio. I'm not going to read it all because some of the words are just too big for me. (laughs) Now, what I need to say actually, before we go into this, is that one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is, is for my own personal growth. Because when you go to an event such as the Science and Consciousness event that I went to last year, obviously there's a lot of academics there that for me, um, it was very daunting because I do not have a degree. I, um, I struggle quite a lot with the written word, although I've never been diagnosed with anything. Uh, and actually processing that, those, those patterns of the words to actually then speak them is actually um, quite a task for me. And I don't even know if there's anything, um, if that's a form of dyslexia or spraxia, or I'm not quite sure. But that's a pattern that I... Um, that I've suffered from throughout my life. So for me to be able to sit here now and put myself in front of a lot of academics (laughs) and try and make some sense of what you, what you are putting out there into my simple world, this is really what this podcast is about. It's about really bringing together the different worlds so that we all feel as normal as possible in all our weirdness. And I hope that makes sense. So Nish is a British writer and integral thinker. He has studied under some of the world's finest research mathematicians at the University of Warwick and is a lifelong student and practitioner of spiritual traditions. Now he's written two books, um, which unfortunately I've not yet had chance to read Nish, but I am going to. When we met at Broughton, you very kindly did a a talk for us on the diamond process. Can you just explain briefly what that is before we go any further? Yes, certainly. So, um, I was, a I, I, I still am a student of the different spiritual traditions and also of science, particularly physics. And what I wanted to try to do was to find, is there something really essential, uh, core to all of them? Because if there is, that's probably something quite important. And the diamond model is a way of trying to depict this core teaching. And what the diamond model effectively tries to depict is that beneath this world of multiplicity of different things and different events, there is an underlying unity or wholeness that we're not usually aware of. And that most of the problems and conflicts that we face individually and collectively are because we lose touch with this wholeness. And when we do that, our world of multiplicity, if you like, descends into what I call fragmentation. So that's, that's the, that's the core of the time and model. And that makes perfect sense to me from a therapist point of view, when I'm working with somebody, obviously we call those parts. 
and we work with the different parts that are um, given to us by our clients so that we can help our clients process that information. So the fragments to me are the parts, but actually when we look at that from the whole world perspective, the whole planet perspective, everything comes into parts, doesn't it? Even a cell has got all those separate little parts. And, and I think what we're learning now is that the interconnection from all of that is that wholeness, isn't it? That's my interpretation of what you've just said. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that's exactly right. The wholeness is what we must always remain in touch with. Otherwise we're going to have problems, yeah. uh, problems of disconnection, breaking up things that aren't really different. Absolutely. And that makes so much sense to me. So Nish, um, I know that you've got some really wonderful, weird stories to tell us today, but from the aspect that you're coming at for, for the audience today is an actual journey, isn't it? That we go on with these weird moments of knowing and they, they relate, it can change your life from being a child as, as I know that it did do with you. And then you go on to the next adventure and then things shift again so that we're constantly evolving if we allow ourselves to. And I think the difficulty that most, most of humanity has had for such a long time is that we felt that we, we couldn't make those adjustments. We were pigeonholed into these, um, extreme versions of ourselves of what we should be, what we needed to be. And really having to sort of, as, um, Vasilius, who I have just done a podcast with as well, who was also at Broughton very beautifully, you know, said it is like really breaking free out of your shackles and sort of wanting to, to rip off your scientist jacket and just crack on with the things that really do interest you. But life has a habit of getting in the way of all that, unless we start to learn to listen to all these instinctive parts of ourselves that you have really beautifully done. So I'm going to hand over to you now so that you can explain sort of what happened to you from, from being a child to, to where you are now. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes. I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying and I, I take quite a developmental view of life. I think we are meant to be progressing through um, stages of development. And I interpret those stages as a gradual movement towards wholeness. As we evolve, we move closer to that wholeness. That is our kind of true or real nature anyway, right from the start. So yeah, I'm going to briefly talk about three or four, uh, key events in my life that I think signified a br breaking through the limitations of whatever stage I was at, at that time and moving towards that slightly extra degree of wholeness, which I see as the, the, the underlying narrative, uh, behind all of our lives. So, um, so the first sort of key moment I'll, I'll talk about briefly is, um, when I was a child, quite a young child, six or seven, I had a best friend at school called Barry, I'm still in touch with. And he was a, he belonged to a religion called the Jehovah's Witnesses. There were the people who knock on your door every Sunday morning, Saturday morning. And, um, I came quite, quite a lot under the influence of this religion and adopted that religious belief as my own for various reasons. I think as a child, it, we're all as children are faced with the fact of death. We first realize what death is. We, we were quite fearful of that. And this faith gave me something to believe in that helped me to overcome that, like many religions do. And I held 
fast to this faith for about 11 years, mostly without my parents' knowledge, because I came from a Hindu family. So that would never have been approved of. So I would, you know, study this faith and occasionally go to their meetings without my parents' knowledge, smuggle in literature through the bathroom window and uh, sit in my room studying and praying and doing all the things I am supposed to do. And this reached ahead when I was 17 or 18. And I, I came out to my parents, this is what I wanted to do. And it led to a lot of conflict and, but a, a real breakthrough came for me when I was at 18, um, I was about to go to university. It was a summer holiday between school and university. And I quite randomly, if these things are random, walked into a library in Gravesend near where I lived. And I chanced upon a book on the library bookshelf called why I left the Jehovah's witnesses written by a guy called Ted Dencher, who was a Jehovah's witness for decades. And then he left. And in this book, he outlined in detail, all the reasons why he left theological, practical scandals. And I sat in that library all day, six, seven, eight hours. And I read the whole book from cover to cover and pretty much by the time I got home on the bus, my 11 years of uh, deep religious faith in this quite fundamentalist religion had just crumbled and far from feeling disappointed. I actually felt this enormous sense of relief. I don't have to believe in all these ridiculous things anymore. I've now got this amazing life that I can live and all these opportunities that I can follow and this freedom of thought and freedom of um, action. And so I went into university, I think at quite a different new stage of development where I was now able to think things through rationally, question things, explore things. And it really opened up my life for me in a way that wouldn't have been possible had I remained in that faith. So I see that as my first real breakthrough in my life journey. It's so significant that you were at such a young age able to make that decision so quickly. You read a book within the day you had let go. And I think one of the most difficult things any of us learn to do is let go. But you did that in a day without hesitation. Yes, I think. How did that feel? It actually felt wonderful. I didn't realize until I let go of that very dogmatic belief system, how much it was binding me and binding all my energy and my attention into a very narrow self-contracted space. And I didn't realize that until I let go of it. And all of a sudden there was this incredible energy and tension that I had not experienced since I was a very young child. Can I, and there's two conflicting things here for me. You know, you, you, you've obviously been brought up one way. You went off to be a Jehovah's witness in your own private time. There was a conflict there. And then you resolved the Jehovah's witness one by the time you were 17. What happened with the home life? What happened with the home religion? I, I think what happened with when I let go of Jehovah's Witnesses and went to university, I really let go of all religious belief systems. Um, so that would have included the Hindu belief system at home. And I went into what I kind of look at now as my rational atheist phase, atheist scientific rational phase, where I just doubted and questioned everything, mm -hmm. including all the religious beliefs. So there was no going back to the home belief. It was now a question of going forward and questioning and doubting everything to see if I could really find out for myself what was true and beautiful and good in this world. Yes. And it, that resonates so powerfully with me because it, it really is about our own pilgrimage 
it's a real journey, isn't it? On, on self, on finding out what's, what feels right for our story. And these knowings that we go through, they give us these insights, but then we need to go and experience what that actually means. And for me, it's through that experience that we actually grow and, and find these really deep, peaceful moments of, of, of bliss is the only way I can describe it. But of course, if people have never encountered bliss and it is such a, a difficult concept to get across because I don't think there are words for it. It is a whole sensory experience in your being that is that what those knowings were for you? I don't even know if they were because you obviously you knew that you needed to move on, but did it feel like that? Or was it just something else that very consciously you just needed to shift forward and, and, and was were compelled to, to find out more research? Well, I think it was both of those. It was, I think, uh, there, there was the mental aspect of wanting to know more and find out more through questioning and doubting, but it also had a very energetic component in that the, the, the constriction and tension that comes from identifying with a certain stage, if you like, is let go and one moves to a, a, a larger space. As we grow towards wholeness, there's a greater openness and a greater spaciousness in which to live. We have more space in which to move around and have our being, if you like. So there's this constant movement towards freedom. Yeah. It's like we've become, we feel lighter, don't we? It's like we've shed those, anyone who's wanting to lose weight, this is a great way of feeling lighter because you yeah. feel like, you know, you can move more freely. Exactly. And I think every shift every genuine developmental shift is like that. Well, we're, we're let free from a certain set of limitations. Yeah. And I think that process continues forever. Yeah. And it seems to be called time loss as well, in a way, doesn't it? Which mm. It's a very strange and weird concept, but, um, you know, how do we measure that? Anyway, we digress. So crack on Nish. I'm enjoying this. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. So, so I had a crazy life at university, uh, freed from all the Jehovah's witness shackles. If you like, I was free to just be a normal university student and do all the things normal university students do. And then I, after leaving university, I, I, I got a job as an actuarial trainee in London which was quite a fast track path to a very well-paid, well, at the end of the process, would have been a very well-paid and prestigious career, which is kind of the culture I was brought up in. That career and money and status is important. So those were the kind of values I'd taken on board at the age of 20, 21, 22. And I was following that path quite seriously and I was doing very well at my job and so on. And then one evening, this is kind of the next big shift. One evening when I was 22, my parents were still living with my parents. They'd gone on holiday. So I was alone in the house. I was studying. I decided to go for a walk. We lived in our village uh, called New Ash Green. So going for a walk there means nature, trees and fields and rolling fields and farms. And it was sort of twilight, six o'clock, seven o'clock. And I was going for a walk and I'd already been meditating for several years because I took up meditation in university, which may have contributed to this. And I had what in retrospect, I can only really describe as some kind of nature experience, nature, mystical experience. It's very difficult to put into words, but it's like, I was looking at the natural world, trees and animals and so on. And, and the nature 
that I was looking at the natural world that I was looking at almost seemed to shine in a way that I'd never noticed before, or maybe it wasn't there before. And it was more, it was more than just a collection of physical objects, something transcendent beyond all of this was shining through nature was expressing itself through nature. Now I would say this was wholeness expressing itself through the parts. And it was even more than that. It was like this, this, um, shining light of nature that I'm seeing was also not separate from me. It was part of me it, in, it was kind of my distal self or part of, part of who I am. And this was a completely mind blowing 20 minutes, half an hour or so, just as powerful as what had happened four years earlier when I was in the library in Gravesend and I came home, sat down in front of my textbooks and I had an exam in three or four weeks time. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I, I went from being this motivated would be financial wizard to just seeing this as a pointless pursuit something that just wasn't going to make any difference to anybody or anything, including me. Wow. And again, like the Jehovah's Witness experience, that ambition for wealth and status and prestige that I was devoting my whole life to just fell away. And I realized that whatever it was that this experience that I just had was trying to tell me is what I needed to devote my life to. Yeah. That's that's, that was my real calling, not earning money and all this nonsense, going deeper into that, whatever it is that I glimpsed. And yeah, within weeks I applied for a new job and I took up a new career the following year, um, a far more modest income, uh, and something that left me my evenings and weekends free for spiritual practice, which is what I decided I had to devote the rest of my life to. My that, that was another key moment. Gosh, you know, Nish, I know what, exactly what you mean with that nature experience because I've experienced that myself and it is so stunningly beautiful. I know that when I experienced it, I'd been, I'd been giving some, can't quite remember now whether I'd been giving the group healings or whether we'd had an event called Quest 79 and we'd had a full day of healings going on around the world for nine hours. And it was so intense. It was so full on. The energies were so high that the next day when I woke up, I was still full. I was still full and, and radiating all of that energy. And when I went out for a walk, and the light was shining on the trees. The tree was part of me. It was like they, that light on the tree was how I was feeling inside. And it was as if I was resonating completely with the trees. And at that moment, we were completely in sync with each other. And it made me so grateful. I was so deeply grateful that I just overflowed and my eyes, I just had tears. I didn't know I was crying, but my face was wet and I was just, the only, I was just so full. The only way anything else of that beauty could fit in was, excuse me, was to let something out and it came out through tears and my face was just wet through as it overspilled and it was just beautiful. So I know 
I get what you mean with that. Absolutely. So you've been new. And that was what, you were 22? I'm a very jealous. It's really jealous to, you know, to know that you've experienced all of that from the age of 22. And, you know, I, I'm now in my fifties and I've only had those joys now. I mean, how beautiful would this be for, for the young people out there to know that this is available to them and you can have experiences like this if you start to be curious. If you start to be curious and don't hang on for grim death, basically, to everything from your past and quite willing to let go, we can be having the most beautiful connection with everything around us, not just humans. And then I know the human connection is magical. And I know that we put a lot of connection on our relationships with each other, but actually when we give ourselves permission to have a connection with everything else that's around us, it magnifies it all the more. So why on earth would we not? Nish, carry on. You've got me spellbound. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So I took up a, a relatively humble job in, in, in comparison, much to everybody's disappointment, but my, I was clear that this is what I had to do. Um, and I started devoting myself really seriously now to spiritual practice, meditation and yoga and Tai Chi and studying, I'd come home from work and I'd be up to two o'clock in the morning, every night, reading, studying all the spiritual traditions of the world. Cause I knew there was something that I was meant to be finding in all of this. And the next sort of breakthrough happened a couple of years later, 24, 25. I can't remember the exact date, but it was around 24, 25. So this is the late eighties now, 89, 90. And I was actually, I used to get up really early in the morning, even on Sundays to do yoga. And I was doing a, a yoga early in the morning, like six o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I actually started to almost see in my mind's eye, a picture of a diamond. And it was like a diamond and it's shining. And the, the, the feeling that I was getting from this is that this is, this is the core. This is what everything's made up of. Uh, I'd already kind of read this in certain Buddhist texts that talk about diamonds, that, that the universe being made of diamonds and each diamond reflecting every other diamond. But this wasn't just a recollection of something I'd read. This was a, a real luminous diamond that I was seeing in my mind's eye. And I had to stop that. I, I had to, you know, I was doing the bow position or something. I had to come down from there, go and sit at my desk and think, hang on, this is something's going on here. And I took a piece of paper and started to draw this diamond. I was just started to draw what it was that I was seeing in my mind's eye. Again, very quickly, that led to the development of what now, 30 years later, I'm writing about and talking about that I call the diamond model, which is the relationship between wholeness and multiplicity between the self and the object, non-duality, fragmentation. All of that was kind of revealed itself in a glance in this crazy vision that happened when I was doing yoga. I, I wrote it all out and I, I actually wrote a paper on it and showed how this diamond occurs in all the different religious traditions, sent it to a very well-known physicist called David Bohm, who invited me to have a conversation with him about it, which was a great privilege. He was, he'd worked with Krishnamurti, he'd worked with Einstein. So he was a really major physicist. And 
I, I recorded the conversation where we went through the whole diamond model, which he really liked. And I transcribed the conversation and just put it away somewhere on my bookshelf. And it stayed on my bookshelf for about 25 years, completely forgotten. And then a few years ago, my wife said, do you need this or can I throw this away? And I read this conversation and the explanation of the diamond model. And I realized this has to be published as a book and I need to start giving talks and lectures about this, which is what I've been doing for the last few years. But that real breakthrough moment, 2425, was when I realized there is a core underlying truth that all the different traditions and even different scientists and even artists, they're all expressing this truth in their own way. The relationship between the whole and the part, the relationship between the self and the, the other. And that, uh, you know, speaking poetically, everything is made of diamonds. Diamonds are forever. That's what I, that was the breakthrough moment for me then. And yeah, that, that's, that was the next shift. So we're all diamonds in the roof and of course. Yeah. Very rough in my case, I think. So I'm a diamond earring and I like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Beautiful. So, oh gosh, Nish. how did you manage to forget about that for 25 years? I really don't know. I, I wrote it, I put it on my bookshelf and then I carried on with my practice and my reading and studying and I was writing other things and maybe it just wasn't the time to, um, put it out there and I've learned to trust divine timing, if you like. I think things happen and emerge as they're meant to. There's a deeper intelligence at work, which is the intelligence of the whole, I think. And so I think when it was meant to be rediscovered a few years ago, that's when it re-emerged. And that's when I was, I felt comfortable to put it out there for other people to read and, and listen to. And I do think we, we do need to be, we do need to grow into um, our knowings, don't we? Um, yes, yes. These sort of downloads and are really quite very, very powerful in their own right. But for us to then go and experience it, sometimes it might take 25 years to grow into that experience so that you can share peacefully with, with everyone um, in the right manner. I think sometimes we, we feel like everything has to be, everything has to be now. Did you experience the religions as well when you went um, and did you diamond model? I know that you researched it, but did you then have to go away and experience any of the parts of that? Oh, I did. Yes. And that's, that's one of the things I felt I had probably I needed to do before I could talk about it. So I did study under a variety of teachers. So I studied under Hindu teachers, Buddhist teachers, Christian teachers. Those are the three main traditions that I've actually practiced. So I maybe now looking back, if I was going to talk publicly with any integrity about traditions, I had to know them from the inside, not just read about them in books. And I couldn't have done that by the age of 25. Yeah. I had to actually practice these. And also in terms of real life experience, 25 is still quite young and I'm still quite immature in many ways. And I had to go through real life experiences, getting married and losing my, losing a job and going through illness and all these terrible things that you, you, need, you need to go through in life. I think before this was going to be something more than just abstract theory. Now, when I talk about the diamond, it's coming from inside me in a way that it couldn't have done, I think 30 years ago. Yeah. It's having that depth, isn't it? Um, Real depth inside you. Absolutely. Yes. 
Oh, I absolutely adore this conversation and I know it could go on all day, um, but we are trying to keep to a reasonable time scale. So if you could give some advice to someone starting their working life, maybe in their twenties or maybe later, it doesn't really matter. What advice would you give them knowing what you know now? I mean, I would say, ask yourself really seriously, why am I doing this? What's my motive, my real honest motive for doing this work that I'm doing? Is it money? Is it status? Am I trying to please my parents? Is it just something I've fallen into without really thinking about it? Is it because I like the people? And one of the things I think I, I would advise people to ask is, does it really align? Does this work really align with your values? What is it you really value in life? What's your life really about? If you were 40 and looking back, if you were 60 and looking back, if you were 80 and on your deathbed and looking back, what would you want your life to be about? And does this work that you're doing align with that or does it not? And if it doesn't, then think about that. Mm. Is that really, is it really going to mean anything 20 years from now, 40 years from now? Mm. That's a really very important question to ask and very aligned with how, you know, I, I feel like I, I've come sort of late to the party, you know, after listening to you and, and so many other people, but I know that I've been on my own unique journey from a very young age with very similar stories, but, um, maybe not the academia to go with it. And it's being true to yourself, isn't it? It's being true to yourself and trusting, trust yourself, one's gut feelings, trust what is given to you, uh, and know that your unique life story has been for a particular reason and the legacy that you leave behind, what do you want it to be? Cause I think sometimes when we're, we're not taught as youngsters that we're actually capable and it's okay to, to leave a legacy. And if you're going to leave a legacy behind you, what would it be? And, and I think that's a really important question as well that people could be thinking about what legacy would you want to leave behind you, which is exactly what you've said. Just a different yes. way of wording it. That's yes. all folks. We're just trying to give different ways of wording this for everybody. And um, one last question, Mish, before you depart, would you like to see on here talking to me who can give us some really weird, wonderful moments of knowing? Yeah, I'd love to see my friend Peter Mary on here. He's my friend. We've done a series of dialogues together and I know he's lived an interesting life. He's worked in theater. He, he worked, um, in, in some position of influence for the green party for many years. And he now is, um, one of the key players in the ubiquity university, which is, um, trying to find a new way of educating people. Um, so I, I think he would have some wonderful experiences and breakthrough moments to share because I know he's been on quite a, quite a journey and stuff. Mm. So it would be my recommendation. Well, a fantastic one at that. I like that one. So watch out folks. Peter Mary may be coming to this podcast very, very soon. And Beyonce. If you... Well, you never know. What is this? <laughs> Who knows? It's been an absolute pleasure to see you, have you on the show. And I'm sure that we'll see each other later on in the year. But Bruce, yes. will you be back? Certainly. Thank you very much for having me on here. It's been it's been a delight. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Take care, Nish. Take Thank care. You. We'll see you next week. Thank you. And you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
thank you so much for listening on the weird world of knowing i do hope you enjoyed your time with us i'm rachel Ewing, your host and gosh i'm having a ball putting all of this together for you so i hope you are too and if you are please do like subscribe and share with those who might actually benefit from these weird moments of knowing as they realize how many of their own they've been having all their life take care and we'll see you next week